You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Would you please join me for a word of prayer? Gracious Lord, as we hear of this mighty act whereby you initiated your public ministry that was for the sake of our salvation, may we enter deeply into the wonder of your mystery, that your humility should lead you to take on for us our many burdens even in including the burden of death. Bless us, Lord, as we look on you doing this thing, that we might be drawn to you in love. We ask it in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So, we're in the season of Epiphany now. Christmas, Christmas ended on Thursday, but just like at my house, we've kept the Christmas tree up a little longer. Um... All those white lights I thought were perfectly appropriate uh, to uh, talk about the shining forth or manifestation, and that's what the word epiphany means. The shining forth or manifestation of God. And throughout from now until the beginning of Lent, our readings will focus on Jesus' teachings and miracles that demonstrate him to be God in the flesh. The manifestation of God among us or God with us as Matthew said in in his gospel. Now, all that is wonderful, and that's the whole season of Epiphany. But Epiphany, the first Sunday in Epiphany, is always the baptism of our Lord. We celebrate and remember from one of the three gospels that recounted his baptism. And the name for this day is a little different. It's Theophany. Now, for those of you who are familiar with just the usual Greek you pick up just hanging around a church, theos means God. So epiphany means a shining forth. This is the revealing or manifestation of God in His fullness. Because this is the first time in Scripture we see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit as it were in one word picture. The Son stands in the water. The voice of the Father thunders from heaven and the Holy Spirit descends upon him in the form of a dove. And in this, God is revealed to us as eternally Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not one God manifesting himself in three different ways, but one God who is eternally three persons, a loving communion from all eternity, even before the creation of this thing we live in called the material universe. And as Jesus descends into the waters, it's not for to demonstrate his repentance from sin, for he has no sin to repent of. This is why John the Baptist objects to it at first. In 
Instead, as Jesus enters the waters, rather than being blessed by his act of repentance, instead, Jesus blesses the waters themselves. So think about this. The same God, Genesis 1-2, the second verse of the Bible, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be. This same God now enters the waters. That the waters that have fallen under a curse because of our disobedience might now become, once again, a source of blessing for us. And that blessing comes to us in holy baptism. As we just heard from Romans 6, in holy baptism, we are united with Jesus Christ in His death. That we might no longer live in sin, live under its power, but instead walk in newness of life. Jesus enters the waters in His own baptism that... Later, in the waters of our baptism, we might be blessed as those same waters, united to the promises of God's Word, become for us not just a bath, not just a symbol, but a holy baptism, whereby we are united to Jesus Christ in His death, that we might be united with Him in a resurrection like His. All of this, all of this, because of God's great humility and becoming God with us. Now as the church, when we baptize at every baptism, we'll say the same words we're going to say at the next service during confirmation, which its more formal name is the affirmation of baptism. Two of our young people are going to stand up and say for themselves what once upon a time their parents said for them, which is, count me in for Team Jesus. And as we, as we baptize, we always use the words of the Apostles' Creed. Now we're going to say them together in a few minutes here. But here's what I want you to think about as you say them in a few minutes. Who's the one person who doesn't show up in the Creed? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth. Great. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. And we continue on with Jesus' life. And then... I believe in the Holy Spirit. And then we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is the church and the communion of saints and the forgiveness of sins and the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. The one person who never shows up in the creed is us. Now this is is hugely significant because the word creed means I believe. Just like the first line of each of those titans. I believe in the Father. I believe in the Son. I believe in the Holy Spirit. So when someone asks a Christian, what do you believe? I believe in, and we talk about God. We don't talk about ourselves. In the Nicene Creed, we get an honorable mention for us and for our salvation. (laughs) But most of the Creed is just talking about who God is. Now this is significant because in every other religion, the first thing you learn is what you have to do. Here's God's commands, or the God's commands. Here's what they want you to do. Here's what you do to get a, be acceptable in their sight, or to get a favor from them. And here's what you can hope for as your reward, if you make the grade. Instead, Christians talk about who God is, 
And because of who God is, this eternal communion of three persons, one God, three persons eternally wrapped up in this relationship of love with one another. Because of who God is, this determines what God does vis-a-vis us and our salvation. God has come and done for us what we could never do for ourselves. He has brought us, He has brought us back from death, and He has brought us to faith. That we might know and trust in the work He has done for us, but He has done everything. And yes, there are Ten Commandments and Yes, Jesus adds a few more things if you read the Sermon on the Mount. That's three big chapters of Jesus laying it out for us. But all the things that God asks us to do are done in response to what He has done first for us. Rather than we need to make the grade and this, if we line up all these things and do all these things right, we might make it by the skin of our teeth into blessedness. Instead of that, God has done what is required and now we need to learn to live as the children of God we have been claimed to be by His grace. Indeed, the fullness of what we are destined for is much greater than simply being saved from our sins. As St. Paul says, we will be transformed from one degree of glory into another. This continues not just in this life, but it begins in this life in a very small way. continues for eternity. And we are made for union with God. The God who has eternal communion with Himself. God, See, God can only be love when we say God is love because the Father loves the Son and loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Father and the Son, and the Son loves the Father and the Spirit. God is loving all the time because God has someone to love. What this means is that God doesn't do what He does so He can get some worshipers. God needs a little love. He does what He does out of pure grace and goodness. Who God is lets us know who we are or are meant to be made in His image but for the interference of sin and what our destiny is. The great 20th century theologian Vladimir Lasky said it this way. He said, After the fall, human history is a long shipwreck awaiting rescue. But the port of salvation is not the goal. It is the possibility for the shipwreck to resume his journey whose sole goal is union with God. I love that image. Can you imagine if, if you were in a shipwreck and on a deserted island somewhere and finally you're rescued and they take you back to the port of Boston or the port of Philadelphia or L.A. or Seattle? How satisfied would you be staying in the hotel forever where they brought you back to port? Or do you want to go home? <laughs> back to your loved ones. Yes, we're in a shipwreck condition and so... We're excited about being saved. But the goal of salvation is not simply that we're saved from our sins. It's that we have union with God. 
that the eternal communion God has with Himself becomes part of our experience, as it says in 2 Peter 1.4, that we become partakers of the divine nature, swept up into God's life of love, which is just another word for heaven. God has given us all that we need. Because of who He is, He has done what He has done. And now, we can look forward to an eternal destiny with Him. An eternal destiny where we are swept up in the love of the Trinity and where we can freely share it with all those in the communion of saints who have trusted in Him and what He does. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Lord, that you should carry the burdens of our sins, pick up the wages of our sins, is more than we could ever hope or ask for. But that you should have something even greater in store for your children, where we might grow into the kind of love you eternally have and eternally are. It's almost beyond our imaginations. Grant us the grace to trust in that love, to follow after you, to remember that anything you ask us to do or tell us to do is for our own good, for the sake of our salvation. And finally, might your love blossom in us that all the world might see it and be drawn toward you. Beginning with those closest to us in our family and friends and flowing outward to our colleagues and our communities. We ask it in your name, Jesus. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. Sleeping thy presence, my light.